Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Real Life Church, it's Pastor Jim. It's good to be with you again in our studies in the letter of 1 John. Remember, John is a disciple of Jesus in the first century world, and Jesus has died and risen and ascended. The disciples have spread throughout the Mediterranean, and now John lands in Ephesus. And after a lifetime of ministry, he has one message for us. Put Jesus at the heart of all you do and everything you are. Let Jesus' love come from everything that you do. If you follow Jesus, you walk in his love. If you walk in his love, you're following him. If you don't love, you don't know him. Jesus' love is to be at the heart of all we do, the center of our lives. And John knows that we live in a world where there are lots of other options, where people are going to contend for our attention. This generation in particular, this rising generation, is so saturated with online communications and marketing that they're used to hearing messages like this. You would be You'd be so happy if you took on our, our new healthcare regimen and our, our health uh, coaching package. You'd be so happy if you bought our timeshare and went and had more vacation time. You'd be so happy if you bought our cosmetics, made yourself look better every day. You'd be so happy if you bought our lavender scented oils and sprayed them all over your house. Somebody at my house got that message, and we've never smelled the same since. John is after something deeper than those temporary sources of satisfaction. John wants to transform the way we approach life. He wants us to take deep into our hearts the reality of Jesus' love for us and realize that we are, are made are made to receive that love and give that love. John is trying to give us a new anthropology. You are made to be a being of love, a being that receives love and gives love and lives in the context of loving relationships. That is the heart of your identity. You can't escape it. So as John tries to give us this new worldview, it's not just a passing source of temporary happiness and satisfaction. He's trying to help us see who we are. Remember, John keeps going back to our our design. The, The Greek word is telos. The, the thing towards which we are growing if we're growing correctly. And if you and I are growing correctly, we are growing towards Christ-likeness. So we're going to continue now in our readings in John and look at where he goes uh, in, in terms of calling us towards this deeper love. And you saw uh, last time there was sort of a warning. There are people who have gone out from the church and are spreading false messages. And now he wants to warn us that the world around us uh, might, not, might not take well to what Jesus is doing inside of us. So that's what we're going to look at today in 1 John chapter 3. Take a minute and pray with me as we go to the text. Jesus, we thank you for loving us and calling us to yourself and calling us to be more of ourselves, to be the people that you designed us to be. Help us to grow into our identity in you that we learn more and more each day how much we're loved 
and how much living in love is our design. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, let's read a short text from 1 John chapter 3, starting at verse 11. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. And remember when John says the message from the beginning, he's talking about the Hebrew Scriptures. This is the message we've had all along. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything the Hebrew Scriptures promised, but this is not a new message. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. This is a reference back to a story in the very beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, where you have the the first couple, Adam and Eve, and they have two sons, Cain and Abel. And what happens is one day, the, the two boys take offerings to God. And Abel brings a sacrifice of meat that from his hunt, and Cain brings an offering of crops from his farm. And God favors Abel's sacrifice and does not favor Cain's sacrifice. God prefers the offering brought by Abel and not the offering brought by Cain. And the Bible doesn't say really clearly why. Biblical scholars have wrestled with this. Rabbis have debated it. Nobody knows exactly what's going on here. Perhaps, most likely, it just has to do with the state of the heart of Abel as he brings his gift and Cain as he brings his gift. It's probably not so much about the gift as the state of the giver. Uh, Although you have to admit, I mean, Abel brought meat and Cain brought vegetables. You know, if Abel shows up with bacon and Cain shows up with kale, it's kind of an obvious choice there. But um, that's probably not it. It probably has to do with the state of their hearts. But, but, But God prefers Abel's sacrifice to Cain's, and Cain is jealous. And Cain ends up killing his brother Abel, the first murder in the Scriptures, the first murder in the story of humanity, according to the book of of Genesis. Cain kills his brother Abel. And later on, God says to Cain, where's your brother? And Cain says, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? Uh, And that's the famous story of Cain and Abel. And and John here picks up that, that story as an analogy and says, don't be like Cain who murdered his brother because his his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. Okay, so, so follow this analogy that John is crafting here. Don't be like the, the jealous one who hated his brother who did right and who was favored and as a result killed his brother. Don't don't be like the murderer. But then don't be surprised when the world out there hates you because you're living rightly and God favors you. If you follow Jesus and live in Jesus and Jesus blesses your life and you have a deeper sense of, of love and joy and peace than the world around you, don't be surprised when they're jealous, when they're bitter that your life seems to be coming together and theirs is still a mess. I remember reading a story one time in the news about a man who had assaulted a priest right outside his church. And they, they caught the guy and they, they asked him, why did you assault the priest? And everybody expected he was going to say the priest did something nasty or the priest was self-righteous or I was abused by the church when I was a child. He didn't say any of that. He said, I assaulted the priest because I knew that he was better than me. I knew the priest was better than me. Don't be surprised when the world is bitter towards you living righteously and enjoying the fruits of your righteousness. Okay, verse 14. 
We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Now, notice there's a switch here. In the first half of the analogy, Cain is the murderer of Abel. And the world is like Cain because the world will hate you if you're a follower of Jesus and be jealous of you. So, that, so that's, the, that's the, the world. But now, we've passed from death to life because we have love between us. The person uh, who hates his brother or sister is the murderer. And no murderer has uh, eternal life in him. Um, the world is the murderer, uh, but it also remains in death. The murderer is the one who is dead. Anyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So the murderer is actually also the dead one. He's the spiritually dead one. Remember, John likes to take an idea and repeat it because he's savoring the idea. He's turning it over and thinking about it in different ways. So he begins by saying, Cain is the murderer uh, against the world, but now Cain is the one who doesn't have eternal life. Cain, the murderer, is the one who's dead. And John's sort of playing with riffing on this, this metaphor and looking at it in different ways. Now he's gonna do it in a third way, in verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. Cain was the murderer of Abel, and the world is like Cain. But Cain is dead. He doesn't have life. He lives in death. Jesus, the source of life, laid down his life and died for us. Right? John, is, John is just playing with uh, this image of death, and he's, he's going over the metaphor again and again and thinking of all the implications. Remember earlier in the series, I compared this to uh, coffee tasters sipping a taste of coffee and picking out all the robust and various flavors that they can find inside it. And they keep sipping it to taste different flavors inside of it. John is on this image of death and he's rolling it over in his mind and thinking, well, the world acts like a murderer, but that's because the world is spiritually dead. And Jesus actually laid down his life and died for us and in doing so gave us life. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Now John gets to the punchline. If you follow Jesus, you lay down your life as well. Cain was a murderer because he was dead. Jesus died because he was the source of life. And now you who are living should lay down your life for other people who are suffering so that they might have full life as well. John's, John's riffing on these ideas of life and death and playing with the images to lay out for us the Christian gospel, the message of Jesus. Jesus was the source of life and we rejected him and we are now spiritually dead. And things like murder and hatred erupt out of us because of that. But then Jesus laid down his life. He walked the earth as a human being and died for our sins on the cross so that when we believe, we rise from death to life. And now his life lives in us through the Spirit. And as we go about our, uh, our lives in our world, we love people who are suffering and even people who are hateful themselves 
so that they might find the life that we found in Jesus. That's the Christian gospel. You and I are surrounded by a world that says there are so many things to, that you can do with your life, so many things that life is for. You should live for comfort. Satisfy yourself. Be happy. Live a pleasant life. Get a home, a family, a job, and just, just be comfortable and enjoy coast through life. There are people out there who say, you should get rich. Be like the Kardashians. Just live fabulous wealth where you don't have a worry in the world and you just buy everything you want and that'll make you happy. Uh, there are people out there who say, just, just live for attention and fame. Get a giant following. Invent your little TikTok dance so everybody wants to see you and knows your name. Um, admittedly, that is how I climbed to uh, the professional peak that I have now reached. I invented my little TikTok dance and got famous. It's not for everybody. But um, there are all kinds of worldviews, competing worldviews that will tell us this is what life is for. Do this and you will be happy. And John says, no, here's your anthropology. You are designed by a God who is love. He'll say in, in 1 John, God is love. And you are made in His image. This is in Genesis in the very beginning. I think it's Genesis 1.27. You are made in the image of God. You are made to be a being of love. And you only fully reach your, your design, your telos, when you live into that love, when you live to receive the love of God wholly, to be forgiven by it, to be filled with His grace. And then you go out and love those who have not loved you and don't deserve it and have lived broken lives because in God's love, they will find life as well. John's, John's clear on the punchline here. Because you have received life, when you see somebody in need, you live to love that person. Don't walk away from them and have no pity on them because if you do, you have no life in you. You have no love in you. The, the love of Christ ought to transform our hearts so that we see that person in need. Our initial inclination, our first reaction is, how can I help? Um, I, I think I've told you I don't know if I told you the story or not about this radical thing that these pastors in Mexico do when we take Christmas toys down to them every year. Every year our church does a toy drive. We'll do it again next month in November. And we'll collect toys and we'll drive it down to the border. And there's this indigenous church planting network down there that's planted churches and built houses for people in need. I think they've built 53 or 4 houses now. And we take truckloads of toys down and we give it to the pastors in this church planting network. And they take the toys to their churches and they give it out to the parents of kids in their churches. And so on Christmas Day, when those kids wake up, there are Christmas presents waiting for them. And they don't, they don't say these are from some church in America. They, these come from the parents. So the, the children are thankful that their parents have presents for them. And then the parents are thankful for their local church, which helped provided, provide these for them. Uh, and then we have this loving, growing relationship with this church planting network in Mexico, uh, led by uh, a Mexican pastor down there and, and pastors that he's appointed. And we have this growing relationship with them where we get to go down and build churches every year and provide Christmas toys for them. I don't know if I've told you the radical thing that they do this, this, this group of people who, who live 
sparingly with what little they have compared to the abundance that we enjoy here in Southern California. They then travel deeper into Mexico and find rural communities that are even poorer than they are. And out of what they have, they share in abundance with people who have even less. Just hours from where you and I sit and watch our TVs, there are people living with such great need, and yet with the love of Jesus in their hearts, they share with a, a generosity that is in every way radical by our modern terms. It is so powerful to see what the love of Jesus does when it gets in your heart. That's exactly what John is doing. John is, John is trying to paint a picture of a, a life lived for love so that when, when God put th puts things in your hands, you're not eager to grab hold of them and hold on to them. You're eager to share them. Uh, when, when you see someone in need, the pity arises in your heart. Generosity arises in your heart. How could the love of God be in you if you don't love that person? Let us not love with words and speech, but with actions and in truth. We've been, we've been doing this little experiment here at Real Life Church during this series uh, in, in the worship space. When you come in in the morning, there's a wall with little cards on them that you can pick, and it, it's in an envelope. You take it, open it up, and it tells you to go and do some random act of kindness this week. And then our, our folks have been taking the cards and going out in the community, doing whatever act of kindness was instructed on the card, and then on the back of the card, writing about what happened and coming back and hanging that card up so that we can read the stories. And the stories that have been shared are amazing. Some of you online have shared with me that you've taken part in this uh, without even getting a card, that you've gone out and done acts of random acts of kindness uh, in your communities. Uh, there have been people who have picked up the bill for the person behind them in line, uh, who've been especially generous with uh, wait staff at a restaurant. There have been people who have taken uh, food to the local firehouse to care for the uh, firemen there who are protecting our, our communities. Um, there, there have been uh, so many acts of just generosity and thoughtfulness uh, from people out there listening to this and, and praying over the letter of 1 John. This is what John intended. This is what Jesus intended. It's a grand social science experiment to say what would happen if we planted a community in the middle of this world which was filled with the love of God and live to make God's love known. What if, in a world full of murderers, there was someone who lived just to share, just to be generous and gracious, just to live a life of love? How might that transform the world? Well, that's what John is recommending to his little congregation in Ephesus, and that's what you and I are trying to carry out here uh, in, uh, in real life today. Um, I don't want to miss the fact that as John describes this, as John commends this lifestyle, he doesn't just talk about love. He puts this in stark life and death terms. This is about living and dying. This is about not becoming a murderer like Cain. This is about having God's life in you. And if you don't have God's life in you, you are not only dead, you are eternally dead. You are lost. You are not saved. John, John means these life and death terms in dramatic and stark ways. We can read this text and go, oh, this is nice. I've had my little daily devotional. John means something much more dramatic. 
And I want to suggest to you that this is really a matter of life and death in our world today. Because increasingly in American society, we are, we are headed towards a secularized society. For decades now, church attendance has been on the decline across all denominations and bodies, both among conservatives and liberals, church attendance has been declining. And there is still a, a residual hope that we can reach down and pick up little nuggets of Judeo-Christian ethics and say, yeah, but I want to hold on to this because this is good. I want to hold on to the, the belief that um, people should not be abused, that, that children should be protected. That's a good one. I want to keep that. The problem is you can't reach down and take a bead off a necklace without getting the whole thing. You, you can't reach down and pick up one of the ethics of Judeo-Christian morality and then leave the rest behind because a necklace is held together with a string. And the string of Judeo-Christian ethics is Jesus Christ himself. And without Jesus Christ, you lose the whole thing. You can't just take the, the, the bead of, I want to, um, I want to protect uh, women from abuse, but, but I don't want the ethics about human sexuality that say, uh, I, have to, I have to honor my body and the bodies of other people. You can't reach down and say, I, wanna, I just want the, the, the bead of you know, protecting children but I don't want the ones about realizing that the information we make available to children when it's completely inappropriate for children affects their welfare. You can't just take beads off the string without getting the whole string. And the string of Judeo-Christian ethics is Jesus himself. Listen, if Jesus is just a side issue for you now, if, a ch if church is a now and then thing, you might want to think about the overarching consequences for your life and your world. Because as American society marches towards secularism, you're not going to want the secular society that is coming. We've done this before in human history. We've had secularized societies that were not Christian, that had moral systems, and I don't think you're going to like the moral systems that they bring. I read a, um, a very brief poem uh, recently by a contemporary poet in, I believe she's Scottish. Uh, and I want to read you this poem. It's just a couple lines long. Her name's Holly McNish. And the poem is called Conversation with an Archaeologist. You know, an archaeologist who goes and digs things out of the ground and talks about ancient society. The poem is called Conversation with an Archaeologist. Just like three, three lines long. And here's how it goes. He said they'd found a brothel on the dig he did last night. I asked him how they know. He sighed. A pit of baby's bones. A pit of newborn baby's bones was how to spot a brothel. What she's describing here is just a reality of ancient Roman society. They had brothels where women could be used as objects, like the ones that exist in Nevada legally today. And if a child was born to one of these prostitutes, as would often be the case, if it was a boy, the Romans would simply kill the baby boy because he had no use to them. And they would find pits of 
baby boy's bones wherever there was a brothel. If it was a girl, she was raised in the brothel herself to serve in the brothel because that's all the use she had. And that was a very moral society with a complex legal system and all kinds of rules about how to live. There are moral philosophers from the ancient Roman world like Seneca that are still read in universities today. If Jesus is a side issue for you, if church is a now and then kind of thing, I'm not sure you're going to like the secular society that's coming to America. And you might want to take this as more of a life and death issue than you have thus far. Because what you and I most want from Judeo-Christian ethics is the value that each individual human being has as a child of God. The dignity and worth that each individual human being deserves and should have because God made them. Not because of their usefulness, not because of their, their age, not because they're old enough or young enough to count, not because they're able enough to count, not because they're productive enough to count, but because they are human beings made by a God who loves them. This, this is in the, the founding documents of our country. People should have inalienable rights given to them by their creator. Right? And it's that Judeo-Christian foundation that preserves the idea that every single human being is deserving of worth. There are all kinds of secular alternatives out there where people are only as valuable as their productivity. And if they can't produce, they are not valuable. It, it has been a, a habit of human history to practice infanticide among those that are least useful. And is, as recently as 2013, the Journal of Medical Ethics carried an article from scholars recommending that infanticide be, be legal uh, within hours after a child is born. This is a real live modern conversation in an increasingly secularized Western world. If you want a world in which every human being is valuable, in which you deserve dignity, no matter how productive you have, how productive you are, how young you are, how old you are, how successful you are, the grades you get in school, the size of your paycheck. If you want to live in a world where you deserve dignity because you are a child of God, that's a bead on a necklace. And when you take that bead, the whole necklace comes with it. And the string holding all that together is Jesus Christ. And that is why John talks about this in life and death terms. Those who, who don't believe that every human being has value, they're murderers. They view human life according to how it affects them and what it's worth. They live in eternal death. But the God of all life, the God who is eternal, the God who created life, came and walked the earth and then died for us on the cross to win our forgiveness. And when we believe in Him, we move from death to life again. And with His life inside of us, we go out into the world and love lost people in Jesus' name. When we see people in desperate need, our hearts hurt for them, and we do not settle for leaving them where they are, to leave them in poverty, to leave them in somebody else's neighborhood or some other country. Our hearts ache for them, 
and we love across the boundaries that this world sets up because every single human being deserves dignity and worth, a child of the God who made them. If you want to live in a world where people enjoy that kind of dignity, start today. If you've never taken that first step of believing in Jesus and saying, I, I believe people should have that dignity, I want that kind of dignity myself, it comes through Jesus. It starts by just accepting Him into your life, just praying in the silence of your heart. You can do it right now, you can do it when I'm done talking, just pray, Jesus, I want to give my life to you. I believe that you lived for me and died for me. And so I ask for your forgiveness and I ask that you would take over my life. And if you make that decision today, today's the day you become a follower of Jesus. If you do that, reach out to somebody else and say, hey, I'm making this decision. I need you to pray for me. Send us a note. Let us pray for you. Once you've made that decision, Start to immerse yourself in the life of Jesus. Read his life. Pray to him every day. Talk to him all day long. Seek to emulate everything he was. Obey his commands. Live with and for Jesus. And then go out into this lost and broken world of people who are jealous and angry, poor and broken, and practice random acts of kindness. Love in Jesus' name. And when people say to you, why are you doing that? Just say, God has been good to me, and so I can be good to you. Imagine what would happen if we all lived life like that. Let's go out and try it. Pray with me. Jesus, send us out into the world with your grace. Send us out into the world filled with your love that we might live for you and love in your name. We want to lay down our lives, surrender our lives to you so that we can receive life back from you. Jesus, send us out in the world to be apprentices in the school of following you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap Give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.